Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today, we have someone from Phoenix, Arizona, that I actually wanted to meet a few years ago, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't meet him in person. Uh, this is the second time I meet you. Uh, the first time I was in the uh, um, Brandon Sims uh, Mastermind, the Go-Giver. And I follow you on, you know, on social media, and I see what you do with, by the way, brother, Going to that to those dinners and doing what you do with the waiters and the waitresses, that's amazing. So, Chris, thank you so much for accepting the, the invitation to the podcast. Who are you, man? Where do you come from? All right, so my name is Chris Ontiveros. Uh, cash flow, Chris, I love cash flow. Everybody needs that in their life, yeah. right? Um, I'm born and raised here in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, yeah, man, I, uh, I've, been, I've been in this game for a little bit, but... Um, I love what you guys are trying to put across to the audience where anybody can do this type of thing. Yes. Because, uh, you know, a lot of us, I don't know, so maybe a lot of people are like me. I went, you know, grew up through high school, I was doing my thing, having fun. College came and I had no so idea that, what I wanted that was to do. A lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun, right? And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, nothing was just grasping at me. And uh, you I grew up here in Phoenix? I did, yeah. I went to high school here and uh, I was able to get out. I, so, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I want, I want to go live in the forest. I want to go live somewhere where it's green. Everything really? here is brown. Yeah, this is the desert. You know, I didn't appreciate it. I appreciate it now. But uh, so I went to the opposite place in the world, which is Portland, Oregon. Oh wow! And, it's all uh, wood. Yeah, all green. It was beautiful. Um, but again, just trying to figure out who I was. And uh, when I was up there, I got in a really bad car accident. Really? I did. Yeah. Uh, it was a fatal accident for a couple of people involved. Oh, wow. My friend died. It, I was in the hospital for two weeks. How old were you? I was 22. Yo. Yeah, and uh, I should have died. You know what I mean? So when something like that happens in your life, you, you kind of just like, I got to figure this out. Because again, I had no, I wouldn't say I didn't have drive. I didn't have any direction. You didn't have any desire either. Like, you know what? The same thing happened to me, man. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was like 26. I had no desire, yeah. and I joined the military by necessity. It wasn't by, by because I wanted to be in the military. Uh, but I completely understand where you're coming from. Twenty-two, no direction or no desire. Yeah. So you get into accident. Twenty-six, twenty-two. I think our problem was we didn't know what our options were, right? You're right. Because going to high school, they told me and my parents. My dad was a cop. And they were just like, go to, go to the military, become a police officer, do this, go to college, yeah. most importantly. And um, that just didn't, again, it didn't, re I, I didn't know what I didn't know. What I didn't know is when I came home from my bad car accident, I was staying with my mom, she's taking care of me. Well, she had just gone to the Robert Kiyosaki event. Wow. Yeah, man, and she, but she did what everybody else does. She, she went there, she got all hyped up, and she came back and she put all the shit in, on the shelf. She didn't take action. She didn't take action. So I was laid up, right? I couldn't do anything, so I just started reading, and I read uh, the Cash Flow Quadrant. Right. And that blew my mind, because I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know you can be an I investor. I didn't know you could be a B business owner. I didn't even think about being an S self-employed. Wow. 
My whole world was employee, employee, employee. Yeah, right? go to college, get a degree, go to work for, you know, join a corporation. Yeah, so I didn't even know. So I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but at least now I knew there were options. So I got my real estate license. Okay. How old were you when you got that? 22, 23? Uh, I, that was in 04, so I was 25. Okay. Yeah. And, and were you back in Oregon or? I was back here. Back here and back here. Before. Yeah, I started dating an old friend and who's now my wife. Oh, so wow. congratulations. I, I was not able to leave again. That, yeah, <laughs> you had a good reason why, why to stay, right? Uh, so, so you got a license. And now you just became an agent, that was the normal thing? Or? Yeah, so uh, again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to try something. I tried, uh, I did I did a uh, rinca rinca yeah. business, right? right? So it's a jump house yeah, for the you, kids. You and list so, them out for Yeah, you know, so we had parties. those and popcorn machines and all that. Right. So we had that small business. I sold it, uh, got into my first uh, uh, lease option deal. How do you get into that? Like. Uh, I just, man, I read so many books. I read real, real estate related. Real estate books. I got a uh, library card. Again, oh. this was mid-2000s, which they still have tons of books. Right, right. I just got a library card and I devoured every book that I could. Wow. And uh, just, I knew what, what was possible and just started trying things out. And so you got the, the first property was a lease option. Mm -hmm. How do you learn how to do lease options? Like, because lease options, even though they may seem easy for us today, they're actually complicated to do when you're beginning. Like, they're complicated. I learned from Wendy Patton's book. I got to meet Wendy at okay. the Go-Giver event. All right. A couple, couple months ago, which was awesome. Wow. Uh, yeah, Brandon had, had her over. Um, and it's funny, because she probably wrote that book in the 80s or 90s, and it still works today. It's a little different, but it still works. It's the same concept. Yeah. Right? But I lost my money on that. You lost? The market crashed. 2008. Uh, okay. Yeah, so this was like 06, and yeah, I ended up losing that deal. How many How many deals did you do before that market crash? Just a few, just a few. Yeah, I was I was lucky to where I couldn't really quite qualify yet to buy a lot of real estate, right. so I was mainly just doing sales. I sold a lot of real estate, um, but... As an agent? Yeah, as an agent, yeah, but I didn't own a lot yet. So, let's talk about the market crash. You lose that deal, and what do you do during that time? Uh, so during the crash, you have to get creative, man. I started, uh, I got hooked up with the REO company. They, okay. And so this particular company, they wanted to be a little bit different because everybody was just kind of a race to the bottom in those days. Right. Bank owned, the banks owned everything. Right. And so our asset management company, they wanted to at least try to get market value. A great example. We, I worked at a tech part of town called Levine, and there were a lot of new homes. It was a new community, right? And so all these homes were just a couple years old, and all of them had the AC on the ground, and that's what people were stealing. Oh, wow. So these guys would go to the neighborhood, every vacant home, they would steal the AC unit. So now it's cash as is. You can't get a loan on that, right? right. And so you have to, instead of getting 120000 they would have to sell them for 60000 Wow. So we would go in, we would carpet, paint, and throw an AC in there, and we would sell it for retail for them. Wow. And so I got paid to did learn how to like flip. Did you work like a deal <laughs> split with them? No, I got paid a crappy commission. Oh, wow. I got paid 3% of that 120 grand. Right. right. So I put in a lot of work, I didn't make a lot of money, but I learned. Yeah, but that's what you had to do at the time, because there, oh, there was yeah. not a lot of money to be made. No. 
I remember, so I started in 2008. That's when I got in, the, in, in, in real estate. <laughs> well, I, I just didn't know any better, right? And I had a job. Why not? I had a job. I was a W-2 guy. Okay. Um, I was in the oil and gas business. I, I used to work offshore, actually. And for the first time in my life, now I have a little bit of money, but I don't know what to do with it. Right. And in the oil field, all these guys, they made money, but they spent it all. I wasn't that guy. I was like, man, I got to be, you know, smart about this thing. Right. And I didn't know it was a bad idea to get into the into the real estate business when the freaking market was crashing. It's actually a great idea. So, but I remember buying properties from wholesalers and I was paying that average assignment was three grand, yeah. three grand. And that's why I was paying wholesalers to, to buy properties. So if you were a wholesaler that wanted to make a living, you need to make at least three assignments in a month to, to make some good money, right? Which nine grand at the time was a lot of money. Right. Um, maybe not so, not so much today, but I mean, if you're an agent and you're trying to put deals together to, to move the inventory, that's what you have to do. Yeah. I bought a house, my first house where I lived uh -huh. was a was a REO from, from a new build. Smart. House was brand spanking new, man. <laughs> and I went and looked at it. They had it on the market for 200,000. That house is probably worth half a million dollars today. And I remember um, I wanted it so bad because it was a beautiful home, uh, and I loved the name, the name of everything. I, I offered more. I was like, hey, because I knew there were more people like bidding on it. Right. So I offered like 205, and, and they gave it to me because everybody was like, trying to bid low. Right. I was like, man, what's $5,000 on my mortgage going to change? You it's know? long-term thinking. It's a long-term thinking, right? So we got the property. But, but yeah, going back to your point, you know, slapping carpet paint and an AC unit, you did what you had to do to make the deal work. Right. And at that time, I guess those those builders, were, they were in so much pressure as well because they hold all these notes that they're paying, you know, their banks and their investors, yeah. that for them it's like, I gotta get rid of these liabilities because those are liabilities. I tell you, it was a real trip doing being that agent because you see what everybody else is doing. So let's just say in this neighborhood, there's 10 REOs all owned by Bank of America. Right, but they don't give it to one person, they give it to five agents. Right. So I get it and I'm like, hey, this one's at 80, we gotta be 70. They're like, oh, he's at 70, let's go 65. They're literally going against themselves, because wow. but there were so many of them. Hopefully that those types of uh, things don't open, happen. But it, again, it was opportunity, right? Because as soon as I got a wholesaler that sent me a deal saying, hey, I can buy this living house for 60, I'm like, well, I already know how to fix it up. I just gotta find the money to do it. And I can do it myself, right? How long did you do that for? Until like 2012, something like that? Yeah, in 2010, I started buying $20,000 houses, $30,000 houses. Here in Phoenix, they don't exist today anymore, right? <laughs> $200,000 houses don't exist. Yeah. Yeah, everything's 10X. It's a, wow. it's a trip, the way wow. that it's gone. Wow, so how was your, I guess, career development as an investor? Like, when did you actually become an investor? Like, yeah. you moved from, from being an agent to an investor. Yeah, I stopped doing regular sales. I'm still licensed, but I stopped doing regular sales probably in 2014, 2015, and really focused on just uh, fix and flips. And then we get, we've uh, we progressed onto development. Um, you know, being able to build a whole bunch of houses. We're working on a subdivision 
22 house subdivision. We're building 24 units, uh, multifamily, a bunch of fourplexes. Right. That's going to be fun. So it's all really the same thing. They t tell you that all the time, right? It's the same right. thing, just bigger numbers. It is. I mean, building a house, one house is a thing. Building 22 is kind of just more of the same thing. Yeah, you just add more people into the fire and more money. Yeah. But the plants are. Well, developing a subdivision is, might be a little different than just buying a lot and putting a house in it. Because now you got a you got a civil engineer because you got to plan the road and yeah. utilities. There's definitely a few more steps, but there's so many less. There's such less people doing it. Nobody, you know, it's a very small niche. So you you are the perfect example of the evolution of a real estate investor, in my opinion. Uh, did Did you ever wholesale a deal? Not really. Not really, okay. We wholesale every once in a while, but no, as a flipper, I'm just like, my brain always went to, you know, quick nickels and slow dime. I took the slow dime almost every time. I would, if there was some advice I could give myself, it would be wholesale more, make sure you have more cash. Right. You know, yeah, I used to be a flipper. And in 2017, when Hurricane Harvey hit, I got caught up with 47 flips. And that destroyed me, literally. Financially, I mean, the all kinds of different ways. Uh, and, but that's how I became a wholesaler. I had I don't become a wholesaler by necessity, not because it was cool to wholesale. But now that I understand what wholesaling can provide at a scale, I'm like I never want to go back to flipping, um, and much less development. I mean, development is a whole different animal because you're dealing with the city now. You're dealing with other things that slow down the process. Yeah, is it a good investment? Absolutely. Uh, you know, otherwise people wouldn't do it. Um, you're absolutely right. So you are the perfect example of an investor because you started as an agent. Most people, actually, the regular average person thinks they need to get a license first. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's crazy. <laughs> it's like I gotta get a license first because I guess that's what they see an agent. And then your average agent doesn't invest. No. So both of them are losing. <laughs> yeah, they're both losing. But in your case, you went from an agent to working at Rio's. And I guess that's when you started developing the mindset of an investor because all this creative stuff you have, that you have to do to help yeah. the banks offload their properties. Yeah, I basically got paid to learn how to flip. Wow. So, and that helped me build my network. And uh, it's all about who you know in this business. And then you started building your, I guess, private money, hard money lenders, relationships with banks. Yeah. Um, so, what are the, so if somebody wanted to, to do what you do today. We'll get into what you do today in a minute. But if somebody wanted to develop skills to become a developer, right? What would you suggest people to do? Man, that's a great question because I was at this crossroad a few years ago, right? I knew that I wanted to get into development, but I didn't know how to go about it. ASU is right down the road and they have probably the best development course in the nation, okay. so I could have gone to, which I never finished college anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I don't have a degree or anything like that. I just did real estate. So, but I could have gone to this university, but they would have taught me how to be an employee. Right, right. So the way I learned how to do development is how I learned how to do everything. I just kind of started doing it, and then I used my sphere of influence. I used the people that I know, who who knows what they're doing, right? And then you just find the professionals. We uh, on our first. Um, Development. We found the civil engineer who did the one next door. You know, we got a little bit of research. Right. And uh, just like you find the contractors that you don't have, you start driving, you see a minivan or right. 
the guy, oh, there's Jose painting there. Hey, Jose, can you come check out my project real quick, right? And we're problem solvers because we were wholesalers. We were we, we, we were all about uh, you know uh, fixing solutions, right? Or finding solutions to problems. So, oh, we need this type of person. We need this type of engineer. All right, well, how, what's the back end way? How do we skip trace them and find them, right? right. You know, so. Uh, how do we find a GC? You know, we just reverse engineer it and we just find who we need and what we need. So basically it's no different than flipping. It's just that you are adding more pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. Um, you're adding now, do you do a lot of lobbying with the city? Like do you go there to their city, uh, to the to the meetings? And um, so this is something that we're getting into. Our company name is Build a Better Phoenix. And okay. we do have a big vision to do big things in there in the Phoenix area. So yeah, we are uh, applying and we're, we're joining a lot of these uh, council uh, meetings and, and getting involved a little bit. I'm on a mastermind, um, it's called a family reunion. I don't know if you have heard of that one. Okay, so last week actually, we had uh, somebody presenting on development. and these guys doing large stuff. When I say large, it's large. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how it compares to what you do, but um, you might be building bigger things, but he explained how he goes and, and networks with the city. He goes to every meeting, he goes and meets everybody, he shakes every hand. He asks, like, what is the other guy's like? What don't you like? And he's sort of building his developments around those needs. That's brilliant. That's brilliant, yeah. I mean, you don't try to fit your square, <laughs> what is it, the square yeah, yeah, in the round hole? Yeah. yeah, go down and find exactly what they want because I mean, what's, you're kind of indifferent as a, a developer, you know, you may have your passion projects, but you need to create what is needed, you know, is office needed, is industrial, single family. He's got, and I should connect you with him at some point, he's got, I don't know how many developments going on, and they're all like millions of dollars. Like this one is four million, that one is 10 million, and all private money uh, funded and all that. But that's when I started learning a little bit about how developers are are getting their way with you know the city because as a flipper, when I, when I first started, I tried not to go to the city. You know, like, you gotta, you, I don't wanna go pull the permit because they're gonna find everything else that's wrong with the property, right? Um, as a developer, you don't have that problem because you're building from the ground up. You gotta follow the rules, yeah, no, no two parts about it, but knowing people is, is important. Your friend is very smart because, you know, government's bureaucracy, where you can just go to them and say, hey, this doesn't make sense, and they can be like, yeah, you're right. Go, you know. And he, he even goes before he even purchases the lot. Like, he's like, hey, I'm thinking about getting this lot. Uh, what should I do? And, and, you know, can I build this here, or what should I build? And they kind of like give him what, what they think is best, and he'll 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 go that route. Um, I did that on. A, I picked up uh, some point in, sometime in 2019. I think it was 24 units in a city in south of Houston called Texas City, mm -hmm. and Texas City is well known for cracking down on permitting and, oh, yeah. and like they're bad. Like <laughs> that's not a place where you go make a mistake. Like literally, you go by the book. And before I locked up the contract with the wholesale, it was a wholesaler that was bringing it to me. I um, I said, yeah, let me go to the city real quick. I'm gonna do some due diligence on on the 24 units because they were all boarded up. So to me, that was that was a little strange. Right. Um, come to find out, I couldn't rehab it. They said, no, if you buy it, you're going to go ahead and knock it 
Yeah, we want you to leave the dirt. We don't want you. We don't even want you to keep the the, the asphalt that was in the property. Right? You gotta remove it all. So how much is that now? And this was it was at least an acre or two worth of land where these twenty four houses were sitting on. And I went back to Jose and said, I'm sorry, buddy, but I can't. You know, this deal's got STDs. You know, so <laughs> the city wants to knock it down. And then, unfortunately. The owners didn't even know what was going on because the owners had owner financed that property to somebody that was going to fix it. And this this other person defaulted on the loan, but they didn't want to foreclose on it because if they foreclosed on it, now they inherited all the problems with the foreclosure. So it was a whole mess. But uh, that's when I first started getting a little bit of taste on what development could look like on my case. Now I never developed anything from the ground up. I I I, I, I almost did uh, two houses on the beach, but um, that never came to fruition. I mean, we always have the shiny object syndrome, right? I mean, we always want to do something new, right? Instead of success is boring. Yeah. Success is boring. Just keep going and keep going. So, what are the basics for a developer? Like somebody that's going to get into development, what are like the, the five things that they should be looking for? All right. Uh, affordable land would be the first one. Uh, you never want you, you never want to be all in for more than like twenty percent of the ARV of what all you're land. Be selling. Yeah, that includes your utilities. Right. So when you're doing bigger developments, it all has to be rolled into it. Uh, so for example, uh, if ARV is five hundred thousand, you need to be all in for a hundred thousand or less on the lot. Right. Uh, the second one is is utilities. Where are they? You know, a lot of empty lots have taps. But some of them don't, and you know that's going to be a uh, cost, five figure, you know, or at least ten thousand dollars, wow. know, typically for something like that. Um, and then you don't want to overbuild. So whenever I'm pulling comps, I'll find a lot. I'll pull comps. Where do where do where does my price per foot kind of start going down? Right. Right. I could always build a three thousand square foot house, but if it's not the right neighborhood, why would I? No. Uh, for example, we have. We just bought a lot in a place called uh, Sunny Slope, and I could build a, let's just say, 2,800 square foot house, and it would be like 650, but I have comps for 500,000 for like a 1,200 square foot house. Oh, awesome. So we're just going to build a little one. Of course. And uh, there's a big spread. Less work. Yeah, less time. Less work. It's easy to build. It'll go fast. And The finishes uh, don't have don't have to be the same as a 3,000 right. square foot house. Right. So... Uh, yeah, so that's another one. Uh, you don't want to overbuild for the neighborhood, and then um, make sure your contractors are on point. Have good con have good uh, contracts with them, and uh, make sure they perform because that's the hardest part of this, this whole real estate thing is literally the people doing the work. It's that that's it. Like how to find the property that's solved by any wholesaler. Yeah. How to find the money? There's more money available today than ever before for buying, for flipping, for rehabbing, for building. Right. Um, but the contractors, those are the ones that will break your projects, literally. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a guy in Houston that he, he uh, I look up to, his name is Eddie Gant, and he's one of the biggest uh, investors in the area. And every, every, like, every time I see him talk, that's what he focuses on, managing contractors. What are, what are best practices for managing contractors in your opinion? Um, communication, uh, knowing, you know, it's where both parties knows what's expected. Um, 
and then keep them paid, right? You want your project to slow down? Don't pay your contractors. Pay them ahead if you have to. You know, you don't want to pay too far ahead, but yeah. you never want, well, you need to give me money to be an excuse. Right. Right? And, uh, and that's a lot on our side because, you know, we have to do draws. Yeah, you have to work involved. So. You do draws and inspections and, uh, right. you know. The bank is trying to protect themselves too. Like, I don't want to give too much money if you guys, you guys haven't gone across this, you know, uh, this, uh, what do you call those, uh, stages or whatever right. of the project, right? Yeah. So, so you got to be on the same page with them. So, hey, I'm pulling a draw for this. That this has to be done. And, um, yeah, I'm just making sure, sure, sure they're paid ahead on that. So. And selecting contractors, like picking the right contractors. Cause yeah. Because there's some other that look legit, but they yeah. take the money and they disappear and you never see them again. That happens to me. Oh, it happens to everybody. Yeah, yeah. contractors have a very bad reputation. So yeah, um, I like to drive a property that they're doing right now. You know, when I'm doing that, and it can be difficult because they have to come. We're investors. They have to come in at our price. They, you know, they can't come in at a retail price. So right. uh, yeah, finding the right guy who knows they're going to get a lot of work. Um, that, that's real helpful. How do you vet them? Uh, again, I try. So all that, you can't ask for referrals. Um, a lot of times they don't want to give them away just because uh, yeah. that guy's not going to be happy. That they no, and then and you lose them. Right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, but I like to see their previous work, um, and especially if they're working on a project. You can always go by. Do they keep a clean uh, work site? You know, is there shit everywhere? Yeah, yeah. beer bottles in there. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Trust me, I walked into my rehabs and I was like. Yeah. Are you guys working or do you guys have a party here last night? You know, like, what's the deal? And then insurance is huge on that, especially this big project. Right. Well, really any. Uh, so, cautionary tale. So, I ran a fix and flip and I had a whole bunch of my friends working for me and we were all just, yeah. you know, no insurance, no nothing. Uh, I just cut it short. I kind of like let everybody go and I started hiring GCs. Literally two weeks later, he was working for another guy, fell off a roof. Wow. Split, like it shattered his wrist, like he was hurt bad. Like what would have happened? Not only would our friendship be over, but what am I gonna do for him? I didn't have insurance, you know what I mean? And he, his bill was probably half a million dollars. You know that happened to me. I, I had a great friend, um, he's still my friend, thanks God, um, that almost lost his foot. Uh, there was, but that was his fault because we had these two little riding lawnmowers. I had houses on acreage, yeah. so we had to cut the grass all the time. And there was this one where the, the deck was broken, and I told them, do not use that one. That one is broken. I actually want you to put that thing out of commission, because he's gonna cut somebody's foot. Right. Sure enough, it's like I told them to go get on it and ride on it and cut their freaking foot off. He almost lost it. They had to medevac him to like, because this was far away from Houston. It was like an hour and a half away from Houston. They had to put him on a freaking helicopter or something like that, back to a hospital where they did surgery. Thanks God, he still got his freaking foot on. Uh, but he went to a hospital and that bill was not cheap. Luckily, he had insurance. Yeah. And his insurance covered for it. And I was always there for him. And I, I continued to pay him throughout his whole rehab. I think I, pay, I kept him on my, on my payroll for like almost a year. And I said, hey, uh, his name is Yamel, by the way. I said, Yamel, you don't have to worry about anything, bro. I'm gonna pay you for as long as it takes you to, to, to rehab yourself. But yeah, I, he could have gone the other way. Yeah. 
to where he didn't have money to pay or he didn't have insurance or I didn't have the money or, you know, um, he could have gotten ugly. So, yeah, paying contractors, it's, it's, a, it's a touchy subject, man, because they sometimes look legit. Like after you bet them, they got work and they got this. I had a guy that I, that I did, uh, I did about 10 projects with him and everything went well. And I started scaling my flipping uh, for re for rentals back then. This is somewhere around 2010. Mm -hmm. And I picked up these three properties and I called the guy, I'm not gonna mention his name, he might watch this podcast one day. And I said, hey man, I got these three houses coming up, but we had already built on a relationship on the previous projects. Right. So I cut my $50,000 check for materials on the three properties. Never saw them again. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that. And I, I called the cops, and the cops are like, that has nothing to do with us. That, that's a civil you know, matter. And right. So you gotta hire a lawyer and sue him and this and that. And I was like, am I really gonna get anything out of somebody that steals from, from you? Like, you know. And then I bumped into him later on, and I held a grudge for a while, man, because you know that was all the money I had, yeah. and I couldn't finish those projects for another couple of years. And I bumped into him sometime in 2018 or 19, and when he saw me, he he's like he saw I don't know the devil coming at him, but I said, hey, don't worry about it, man. I already I already forgave you a long time ago, dude, because he was eating me alive, you know, holding a grudge. Somebody stole that much money from me. But he was legit. And then he just decided not to be legit one day. And it happens. So that taught me a lesson on how to handle contractors. Like, you know, give them just enough. Right. Go do the demolition. Okay, here's 2,000. Go do this. Here's another four. Yeah. And then, you know, you're always playing that catch-up game on, on, you know, how to handle them. Now, I don't, I don't enjoy that anymore. Like flipping, building, and all those things. I'm like, uh, I went, like you said, I went on the wholesaling route because of it's like an ATM, and and now that I understand what wholesaling can do for somebody, is you can scale it, and then you get the you get to cherry pick deals that you want to keep. Exactly. Right. Cash for cash flow. Like we're, everything we're buying is creative finance. Everything. I'll never need a bank ever in my life. Unless I was going to go develop, then that's a whole different right. So you're doing 22 uh, uh, fourplexes, right? Uh, that is eight or uh, six fourplexes, so 24 units. 24 units, okay. Yeah. And roughly, what's the price per square foot to build these things? So we'll probably be around uh, 125 to 130. That excludes the land or with the land? That in, that's not including the land. Not including the land. So yeah. with the land, you're probably looking at 140, 150. Yeah. So land. Uh, so so this type of a project, we're going to be probably around um, nine million in sales. Okay. And we'll be all in for probably around five, five and a half. So uh, that's still a seventy percent deal. Like, yeah. It's like well, yeah. The fundamentals have to stay the same. Like on these big deals, that's what we do. We and we actually want a bigger spread because of the risk involved. So yeah, definitely way more than 70%, or way less than 70% of yeah. uh, total cost. And the cost of capital, what, what does that look like? Well, raising a lot of big money like that, we do a lot of private right. money. Uh, the construction part of it is not expensive. There's 7% money all day out right. there. It's probably gonna bump up to eight now. 
right. uh, because rates are going up. But uh, we give a lot of uh, equity splits. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So you share the pie with yeah. people that help you, you know, put the whole deal together. And how long does it take you to, to from thinking I'm going to do a uh, 24 units all the way until you start handing out keys to to, to tenants, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're you guys are big into cash flow. You're not big into selling them off. You. Um, those are two different businesses. Okay. I buy I buy and hold over here, and I and I build and sell. Okay. We're gonna we might hold one or two of them, but for the most part we'll. Build so this is a, a selling development. Yeah. Where you're yeah. That's how we like make our, our money, and then we have another business over here for cash flow. Awesome. So and the cash flow business that's what you're in with BP, right? Yep. And what does that look like? So we currently own around 118 units nationwide, and we are currently selling a bunch. Okay. We're uh, we're divesting. Uh, we're we might move all the way out of Cleveland. If not, we'll probably we might keep a couple of units there. Um, the numbers out there were amazing, and uh, we bought right. Lots of appreciation happened. Uh, tenant rights are crazy out there. Um, we just play games with uh, the government officials. Yeah. So we're. It looks like you're making money, but you're probably not making money, but it's appreciated. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> so uh, we have another one down in Southern Arizona. So we'll keep buying. I love apartments. The bigger, the, the more the units, the better. I mean, that's kind of our retirement strategy. Just a ton, a ton of units, free and clear. Well, maybe free and clear eventually, but right. that's way down the road. That's good, man. So now, do you do mobile homes? Like, because like, I know he does some mobile homes. Yeah, he uh, invested in some in Texas. Uh, no, I've never. We've developed mobile homes for okay. sale, but yeah, not as far as a buy and hold. No, never had done that strategy. Yeah, because that's that's a whole different client on on, on those, right? Uh, I think tiny homes are going to be the new mobile homes. The new mobile homes, right? Yeah, yeah. Because again, people want their own little piece of land and. Uh, I don't know, maybe mobile homes are just getting better and better as they're producing them, so. Yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a buddy uh, in, uh, in in Tampa, Alex Ottawa, do you know him? He's the king of those. Yeah. He's got so many of them, it's unreal. Uh, and he has a whole strategy on how he buys the lot, how he buys the mobile home, puts it on the lot, he flips the mobile home, like he rehabs it and everything. Yeah. And those are cash flow kings, like literally, yeah. they, he makes a lot of money off of it. And, and his whole family, I think they do it. Um, so I'm looking forward to learning how what he does. Yeah, I'd like to meet that guy. I'll be in Tampa this summer. Yeah, he he lives out there, and um, he's actually coming to our event. BP is actually going to our event uh, in June in Houston. Um, he's a special guest, and but Alex is going to be speaking on that strategy that he does, the, the mobile homes and and how he buys the land. I don't know that he's gonna give it all the secrets, but the, the fundamentals are. But even if he did, who's gonna? You know, so many, so few people take charge. Oh, that's what we were talking about, Ray Spencer earlier, right? Yeah. I got to see. So you you talked about how what a great story he has, but I got to see the backside of it because he's not the only mentor mentee student that BP took on, BP, and not the only one that asked for mentorship, right? right? So many people just, oh, I want to do it, I want to do it, but nobody puts in the work. Yeah. Ray put in the work. He put in the work. You know? So, it, I mean, he's successful for a reason. Yes. You know? It just You can't just want it. You got to go make it happen. You got to go make it happen. Yeah. You're right about that, man. I, 
a lot of people want it, but when you tell them, hey, the road is, this is the road and it's there, and you gotta go all the way there, uh, I don't know if I wanna do that. Mm -hmm. So well, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna have it, you know, because you still gotta travel the road, you know? Yeah. I mean, simple sales skills, right? When I got into, I, I got my real estate license, and I'm like, oh shit, I have to sell? <laughs> I have to talk to people? Uh-oh, I didn't, you know, because I've always been a huge introvert. Well, I had to learn to not be an introvert. Right. So if you suck at talking to people, join Toastmasters. If you suck at talking to people, you know, volunteer to speak in front of people. You, you have to sell. Really, it's not a, real estate is the best way, I think, to make money in sales because you're, you're selling kind of no matter what. But, I mean, if you know how to sell, you can do whatever you want. You know that, my, in my opinion, I may be wrong, to me, the best salespeople are introverts. Really? Yes. Explain. They know how to listen. Okay. So, because they listen, they can formulate better offers and better solutions to the person they're listening to. So, most of our acquisitions, uh, team members, are introverted. Really? And the ones that have the highest numbers are the most introverted. How about that? So that I look now, when we have, when I don't do the interviews anymore, but when I was doing the interviews, I was looking for that. I was like, okay, is that is this person? Because a guy like me, I'm very extroverted, man. I, you gotta hit me once to talk and 10 times to shut up, right? But I can talk my way out of a deal after I got the deal, right? right. Now I learned how to like, shut up. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, I use the power of silence. I learned that from my dad. Uh, who's a great salesperson, and I know when to shut up now and, and listen, and you know, let the other person talk and all that, and understand body language. And, but introverted people don't have that problem because it's hard to fish words out of them. Like you have a whole world here going on, right? And you're thinking, you're analyzing, you're you're putting things together. You don't necessarily have to say a lot to 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 convey your message. You need to use a few words and boom, the message is, 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 is gone. And, you know, it's interesting, I have a high, I, we have a guy on our team, his name is Angel. Um, when, when Angel, when we started training him on acquisitions, there was a bet that he was gonna make it. And I said, mm -mm, now don't discount him because I actually gonna put my money on him because he's introverted and you're gonna see that his results are gonna be better than everyone else. And sure enough, he's our number one closer right now. Nice. And, and I think being introverted plays a big part into why he creates so much rapport with people. And I'll give you an example. Um, women, you see beautiful women dating the ugliest guy that you can, and you're like, man, what the hell does that guy have, right? He knows how to listen. And then the woman goes, he's so sweet. Yeah. The guy's just listening, yeah. right? So he's picking up beauty by, you know, having to, that's what God gave us two years and a half. Exactly. So I should apply that more. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, man, introverted people are actually, in my opinion, more successful. And there's other guys that, that share the same, um, same thought. Don Costa is one of them. Uh, you know Don? I love Don. Don's a great guy. I'm going to be with him next week in uh, uh, Fontana. He's doing, uh, in California, he's doing an event for like a three-day event. So he, he shares the same principle. Yeah. 
Um, even, uh, you know, Max and I were talking earlier, same thing, you know. Right. So I think it's becoming more of a thing. We tend to think that an extrovert person can be a better salesperson because we can talk a lot. Right. But that's not always the best case. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. And it's true, as long as that introvert is willing to get out of the comfort zone and actually have that conversation. A hundred percent. So, um, but tell me about your mastermind. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. So, um, a few years ago, I started, I just, so I was in a group called Entrepreneur Organization, EO. A fantastic organization. It's for, I was in the accelerator group, uh, meaning that we were under a million dollars. And it teaches you how to build a business, you know, just how to hire, uh, you know, systems, everything that has to do with it. And um, it was so great for me. Well, I did my, I did a couple years and then I graduated from the program. So I didn't really have anything. And so I started my own accountability group. And uh, so it was just a group of individuals, business owners. We met every Monday morning, like six in the morning, because it had to be the most important meeting of the week right. to kick off the week right. Uh, that went for a year. We expanded a little bit. It got to be too much for me to run like a big group, but I always wanted to host events because I want to help people grow their business. Right. Again, so it is a business. Most of us are just solopreneurs, and if we go away, there's no money. There's, it's gone. Right. right. So we wanted to couple that with scuba diving. We love scuba diving, and so uh, that's what we did. We kicked off our first one. It just happened last April in Cabo. Um, we had a great group of entrepreneurs. We had lots of great speakers, a, a speaker from Building a Story right. Brand, Traction, which is probably the best business book for small businesses. Yep. Uh, Chris Ronzio with Trainual. Uh, he helps you hire and, and uh, I know that document. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, David Richter, Profit First. Yeah, I know David. And so, yeah, I mean, David blew us away. I, I mean, having, we all need a financial advisor in our lives. Like, yes. that's so important, and it's probably the last thing that we ever think about. And then uh, probably our most impactful uh, guest was uh, my performance coach. Her name's Jean-Marie, and she like blew everybody's mind. And more importantly, she called everybody out on their bullshit because we're just holding ourselves back. And uh, it was impactful. It was a five-star resort, all-inclusive. Uh, beautiful resort, and then we went on some excursions. I saw the pictures. Yeah, man. it looked it looked amazing. It was fun. So. I was like, man, I'm not there. And you invited me to it, and I, but and I, it was, I think it was because it was your first one. Maybe you didn't invite people. It was so enough. Yeah, right? we were way unprepared for right. this one. So we're gonna have another one in November, and but then hopefully we catch you next April yeah, or April. May. I mean, right send me the the dates and. Uh, my birthday is on the night, so let, let's not do it that day. <laughs> yeah, night? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking probably end of April. End of, you know, because we want to miss the spring breakers. The best, in my opinion, and I've done quite a few events now, the best dates for events are March, April, and May. Avoiding the spring breaks and, and, and Eastern and things like that, right? right. So, but it's around those three months. And then September, September and October. Right. Everything else, it, it's because November and December, Thanksgiving and Christmas is around. So people don't spend as much money or invest in, in going to things like because they got other things that they got to put money on, right? Because a, a mastermind is an investment; it's not a, an expense. Right. You can expense it, 
Yes. You talk definitely to, right to the right CPA, <laughs> but it's an investment because yeah. I, I, look, I try to get myself into as many groups as I can because it's just I, I rather take the elevator um, to 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 your knowledge and, and the other guy's knowledge and whoever is in, in that group and it masterminds people open up more. You know, the, yeah. there's the truth comes out. Yeah. You know, like you said, your your personal uh, uh, mentor uh, she calls people out on their on their bluff, right and. And, and that's what makes people like level up and, and, and succeed. So I'm looking forward to attend your your, your next event in, in April. Unfortunately, uh, November I can. It's my son's birthday, so way more. Uh, well, it's it, <laughs> way more. It's, it's just that those. It, I I know how, I I know how to pick my battles with my wife. And that's not one that I'm going to win. You know, yeah. so. Well, my kids are 12 and my boys are 12 and 14, so I'm getting real excited to where they're getting to an age where I can start bringing them to these type of events and really exposing them to these really bright individuals. Man, you're doing the right thing. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I wish I would have been brought up like that, right? But my father was, he's in the insurance business, mm -hmm. but he wanted me to go to college and do all these, these things that, that we are wired from when we were kid, kids because of our previous uh, way of educating ourselves, but I wish he would have brought me more to, to those events that he took right. part of when, when he was growing up in the insurance business. Um, I'm bringing my son to every one of my events now, and I put him on stage, and he gets on stage, and he's all laughing and giggling. And he's That's six so years great. old, you know? That's so great. But he doesn't know he should be nervous, no, right? He doesn't know any better, he's just being a kid. We don't know when we're yeah. kids <laughs> what's good or bad or, right. you know, and you can you can feel that they get shy because they're in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. But I mean, if 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 I can put him on stage today, imagine what he will be doing when he's 21 or 22 years old, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. he has the right mentorship going on, yeah. for sure. And so, what's next for you, Chris? Like, what's like, what does the future hold for you? What's 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 for you moving forward? Uh, so build a better Phoenix, and then I own a uh, architect firm called 312 Architect and Design as well. Uh, those two companies are going to be a big driver in uh, developing this great. So you're serving product. other investors as well. For yeah, we work with investors, and then yeah, that we work for hire as well on the architecture side. So yeah, we want to make a big impact, um, build better, better buildings, more energy efficient buildings. You know, we live in a desert and we use a ton of water, and yes. uh, we're running out. So you know, changes need to happen sooner than later. So we want to be a part of that change. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for accepting my invitation, Chris. Uh, this was long overdue. I really wanted to reach you back in 2019, but hey, God's time is always perfect in my opinion, or the universe, whatever you believe in. Um, so guys, don't forget to hit share, like, and subscribe. How can people get in contact with you? Uh, Cashflow Chris, Chris with a K, K-R-I-S, on pretty much all the platforms. Instagram, Facebook, attendgrowth.com, June 24, 25, 26. Make sure you get your tickets. We only got like 10 VIP left and 100 general admission, so this one you don't want to miss. Maybe Chris will join us. I don't know, I haven't extended the invitation, but I may do after the, the, this uh, episode. His partner is already confirmed. Nice, um, he'll rock, this, rock the house. BP will be there. Uh, he sent me a video actually from, he was in Peru. I He's think. in Peru for his 40th birthday. Yeah, doing the invitation. So, I don't know when, when, like, for his birthday he travels, right? I do the same. I do something called the solar revolution. So I believe in the stars and all that yeah. stuff. And so for every birthday, I, I pick a, 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 a 
place that's good for my solar revolution because it's like you're being born again. Yeah. So I'll have to dig in with uh, BP on that, see if he's, if he's doing that uh, because of that or other uh, reasons. But I'll see you on the next one, guys. Thank you so much.